Hey now, and welcome to another episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. This is episode number 233. And if you like Ryan Price, boy, have we got a treat for you. It's all Ryan all the time in this episode. First up, Ryan interviews Ashraf Abed. And I'm pretty sure I just mispronounced Ashraf's name. So my apologies in advance. They will be talking about the Debug Academy, as well as, I assume, Drupal.tv. Then after that, Ryan and I go a little bit old school and do a news roundup where we talk about the Drupal 7 end of life and Drupal 9 and some other really cool stuff going on in the Drupal community, as well as, wait for it, Picks of the Week. Hello and welcome to the Dongle Easy Podcast. Excuse me, the Drupal Easy Podcast. Uh, we had a little technical difficulties with some USB-C cables a minute ago, but everything's working just fine now. I will be your host for this segment, Ryan Price, and with me is Oshraf Abed. And this is our second chance at recording, so hopefully I got your name a little bit better this time. Oh, definitely. That, that, was, that was pretty spot on. <laughs> All right. Uh, Oshraf, you are the owner-proprietor of something called the Debug Academy, and for people who may not have heard of it, can you give us the 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. Um, so Debug Academy is designed for people who maybe don't enjoy the traditional college experience of many additional you know, fluff courses, you could say, um, and are looking to fast-track to employment go through a program that is really project-based and real-world experience-based for people like myself, really, who um, didn't enjoy throwaway homework assignments. Um, so th that's really what it was built around. Yeah, definitely. My, some of my favorite classes when I was in college were the ones where they gave you project work that you know as closely as possible mirrored the real world. At the end of the class, I still looked back and I said, None of that work actually amounted to anything, but uh, it was, you know, those were still some of my favorite classes. We did have one um, in the school, the program where I went, that was called the student service team. And it was essentially the digital media majors get to do free unpaid work for other people at the school. So like we would build websites for other, you know, educational departments or somebody who had some sort of microsite they wanted to put together yeah I love that. and they would just farm it out to the to the like you know lowly digital media students and as long as you could get it done inside of one semester it was a worthy project nice yeah i love that that's exactly the type of thing that we try to go for in my program great yeah, let's talk a little bit about you um how how did you get into drupal into open source into education any of that um I know you, you got started, you said you were working at, uh, you know, a big government contractor mm -hmm. as a programmer, right? Right. Yeah. So I was actually working as a Java developer and I made the mistake of being an Arab American and going directly for the top secret uh, security clearance with polygraph. Uh, my friends and family who work in government all warned me. They said <laughs> Arabs shouldn't go straight for a top secret with poly. Um, I was told that it would take over two years um, for it to actually go through. And once that time frame 
an estimate came out. Arthur Grumman furloughed me um, because you know they didn't want to want me to keep spinning my wheels on their dime. So they furloughed me. During that furlough period, I received a call from a recruiter, and uh, they were looking for a Drupal developer. At the time, I had never heard of Drupal, um, so I said, you know, maybe I might be I might be able to work as a Drupal developer. It depends on how far back you can push the interview. Um, so he gave me two weeks. In that time, I picked up the Pro Drupal development book, and which is like the encyclopedia, or was at the time, the encyclopedia for Drupal development. I picked that up. I spent two weeks reading it um, end-to-end, and I passed the interview. Um, so I was hired as a full-time Drupal developer. The funny thing is, in that book, it, it wasn't really focused on Drupal.org much at all. It was focused on back-end development. So I went through this book. I learned how to build with Drupal. I did not learn that there was a contrib ecosystem. I did not know there were modules I can seek. So I was pretty much building everything from scratch um, in a small company with little to no mentorship. Um, so at the time, I, I pretty much was uh, working from home, alone on a relatively large project uh, for two years um, and nobody nobody else in the company even looked at any code I wrote until the end of the two years um, and that's sort of where some of this um, idea for education or Drupal training uh, stemmed from I uh, I saw that I was able to land a job with very little training, very little self-study, I should say. Um, and I saw that even after teaching myself, I was kind of doing it wrong. Um, I, it took me a year or more before realizing what the best practices were. Um, and so after I left that company and received a job offer at Acquia, I had a, a few weeks in between my last job and my job at Acquia. And during that time, um, I wanted to run an experiment and see, could my cousins, could my friends also get jobs as Drupal developers? Uh, could they switch from a, a short training program? And what I did was I, um, I hosted the first Debug Academy course in my basement. It <laughs> was a three-month course. It was for free. I, I posted on Facebook and said, Hey, is anyone interested in a career in programming? If so, come to my basement. <laughs> I'll teach you for three months, um, and I won't charge you. And it was, it was a proof of concept. Um, and one of my cousins, actually, who went through the program and also had not heard of Drupal or open source um, and had not studied computer science, he took that class, and he is now one of the top contributors at Acquia, uh, to their BLT tool. Oh, that's awesome. We actually just had uh, this one of the maintainers of BLT on, uh, I think it was two episodes back now. Very cool. Uh, you talked about, you know, not being able to discover the best practices, you know, without really having sort of the, the inculcation into the community. And that's something that I, I definitely struggle with on my own journey here too. Um, one thing that actually really helped me was was podcasts. You know, before we started doing this podcast, which is now I think twelve years ago, 
there was the Lullabot podcast and, you know, they would have these panels of like four or five or six people and they would all be sort of throwing in their, their, you know, earned wisdom, which from what I now know about Lullabot and about the early days of Drupal, I'm sure was very much hard earned wisdom that, you know, there was definitely a lot of moments in, in the days before, let's say before Drupal six, that there were some things that people were just making up as they went along. I mean, there's, there's an element of that into everyone's job, but at a certain point there became certain things that a lot of Drupal sites were using because it was just a good idea and it was well thought out and it was tested in the real world. But, um, yeah, there used to be some just really simple things like, you know, using path auto. Right. Exactly. So, so having a community member introduce you to some of those things, actually the one I can remember off for sure was I actually ended up being in a Lullabot training. Um, I was already working full-time as a Drupal developer at popular science, but we had um, Angie Byron and Nate Haug come and do this training for us. And they showed us uh, node queue node queue changed my life. Like that was, that was a big revelation from that training that I, I took away and we did a lot of stuff with node queue right afterwards because we really needed that tool. Yeah. For me, the, the refinement of the best practices came during my time at Acquia where um, I was put onto a, a very, you know, large high profile website and um, the standards were much higher than they were at the smaller company. And basically um, code reviews changed my life. <laughs> um, mm. My colleagues reviewing my code, um, a lot of times they wouldn't necessarily find a technical issue, but they would provide advice through comments. Um, one person in particular, I think he still works at Acquia, um, Travis Carden. Um, he's a really great, really great guy, a really great Drupal developer. Um, you could say uh, very empathetic, emotionally intelligent, and um, very uh, well-trained and educated. He, um, he basically would give very thorough code reviews. He would... Um, give really great advice. And over time, you would start to notice things uh, preemptively that you know he would call out. And I think that um, ended up improving the quality of my code. And that was sort of the best on-the-job training. So is, is Travis still the voice in your head when you're sitting down at the keyboard? Uh, I, uh, I think Travis, um, Travis speaking is what I wish my uh, fifth draft of my email would look like. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully he'll get to hear this and uh, think fondly back on those days. So, so you worked at Acquia, and but you had already at this point you're working at Acquia. You have already run Debug Academy once, and with at least the future, you know, success will will be coming. You know, um, obviously, anyone taking any of these training programs, there's a certain level of like personal application that has to happen mm -hmm. in order to get to the employable state. Mm -hmm. And are they always three months long? Is it okay? I have many questions. Like, are they always three months long? Are they always in person? And I would say like, what, what sorts of people do you think 
fit well into a program like this? Sure. So I like to think my program is, um, I don't know if unique is the word. Um, it's unique just like everything else. But um, let's see. So we have different programs, but we have the three-month program, which tends to be our bread and butter. Uh, that's similar to the uh, Drupal Easy's three-month program. Um, I think we have slightly different focuses and students from my program will come out with certain strengths and students uh, from the Drupal Easy program um, will, will come out stronger in certain ways. Um, so we, we, uh, we all choose our trade-offs. Um, in my program, uh, people from the program probably come out weaker in terms of site building. Um, so picking contributed modules and configuring them. If you were to ask them about various contributed modules, I think people at my program would probably um, not do amazingly. But uh, we spend a lot of time on the code side of things. So on PHP, mm. on module development, on uh, theming. Um, and there's, of course, I'd say the vast majority of our programs are probably direct overlaps. We both, I'm sure, spend a lot of time on local development environments, Composer. Oh, yeah. um, so at the end of the day, I try to, to put my students in a position where they can skip the internship and go straight to full-time employment. But as part, of, as part of my program, what I also do is we work on a real project every semester. So that could be a portfolio site for the students. It could be Drupal.tv, which I think we'll be talking about. And real projects take uh, a variety of skill sets. So what I love about my program is you have absolute beginners who maybe spend the vast majority of the program focused on theming. And you have more senior uh, developers who also enroll in the same program um, who are maybe more interested in the module development component. But we work together and we build a whole site and sort of mimic the real you know, team project experience um, with a with an ultimate goal of launching the project at the end of the semester. Do you do you have people coming in sort of, you know, having no idea that there's a difference between, let's say, front end and back end? Oh yeah, and you know, like, can you work. maybe tell us a story about something like that? Sure. Um, I would say, interestingly, most of the people in my course probably haven't heard of Drupal, or maybe it's a fifty fifty split. Um, so a lot of people come into my class thinking I want a higher paying job and that's, that's the start and the end of it. Um, so in the course, if I say, do you want to be front end or back end? Um, they'll have no idea. Um, I had a student who was a, a car repair technician, you know, he worked as a car repairman and, um, he worked long hours, you know, something like. 12 hour days. Um, and he had never heard about programming. Um, he had a bit of a longer journey after the course to land his first job. And I think, um, that comes from, um, a number of things. It comes from, uh, partly from bias and, uh, being, uh, uh having less privilege readily available, um, being mm -hmm. underrepresented. And um, I find that employers tend to take less of a chance on people who um, don't fit the mold 
who don't, you know, look like everybody else you see programming. Right. Um, so that was definitely part of it. Another part of it was, um, you know, compounded <laughs> issues of uh, privilege or lack of, uh, you know, access and um, financial privilege, really. Um, so he had to continue working, whereas some of my other students are able to take three months off or uh, work part time during the course. So for him, his journey was much longer. Um, I think he continued working as a mechanic um, for another year and he would review Drupal, review our classes, ask me questions in our Slack um, for you know a couple of hours a week. Um, but eventually someone did give him a chance and um, more recently, I think he ended up moving on to Accenture. Oh, wow. The Drupal developer. And <laughs> that's great. Um, but uh, more credit needs to go to the companies that came before Accenture and gave him the first chance. Um, so right. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. I think in the DC area, I think ITCon is actually a company that uh, brought him on in a more junior role. And um, they deserve some praise for that. Um, at the end of the day, he helped them accomplish their goals. But if you really want to help uh, increase representation and um, it, it's mutually beneficial, you're not necessarily just doing people favors. You want to increase representation, uh, make society more equitable. Um, but at the same time, as Drupal developers, as companies that benefit from Drupal, we want there to be more Drupal developers. <laughs> right, right. You're not going to get that by um, targeting the most privileged people who have the choice of learning React or you know learning something more competitive in certain ways, um, something taught in college. Um, in, in a lot of ways, um, we can sort of target people who are less likely to pursue this field, less likely to have heard of it, and um, give them their foot in the door. Um, and chances are they'll stick with it, unlike um, a number of developers who might see it as a, a stepping stone. So have you had a chance to form any relationships with those companies that are sort of open to hiring, you know, entry level people, like, yeah. do, do they know who you are now? A number of them in the DC area do. Um, so we have, I like to call it the three wave policy. Um, there are three waves of alumni for each semester. Um, basically, if you want to hire someone from our program um, immediately, or even a few weeks before the program ends, uh, you fall into the first wave category and you essentially pay a referral fee, um, you know, which of course is reinvested into scholarships and uh, future opportunities for students. If you want to pay less, you can join the second wave and um, sign, hire and interview people a few weeks later. And if you don't want to pay any fee, I don't want to stop any students from getting hired. So you can come to the third wave where you don't pay any fee at all. Um, and we introduce you to students. And uh, what makes this valuable is really a combination of things. Uh, we don't charge anywhere near what recruiters typically charge. It's 
more of like a referral bonus that you would pay your employees. Um, but also we talk to you, see what you're looking for, see what your company is like. And we know our students, we tell you their strengths and weaknesses, and we tell you how to work with their weaknesses to, um, to help them grow. Um, but basically you don't get surprised with, uh, by hiring someone who's charismatic, but has baggage you're not aware of. We, we actually just uh, help you walk through the process. And at the end of the day, we ask that you, you know, tr of course, treat people respectively, respectively um, create an inclusive environment, make them feel welcome, give them opportunities to grow. Because if you don't, our students always reach out to us six months later and say, hey, now that I have some experience on my resume and this company is treating me badly, I don't feel welcome here. Where else can I go? Yeah, that's that's definitely an advantage that you have of having this pool of talent. And I imagine there's plenty of jobs in your in your geographic area. So you probably have a pretty good picture of what the how the employers treat people, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, I am based out of, you know, Washington, D.C. area. Our classes are 50 percent remote, 50 percent online meaning once a week it's in person, once a week it's online. Um, however, to ensure, keep our classes accessible, um, when we teach in person, I sit in front of my laptop, in front of my webcam, in a room with the other students, and whoever wants to call in from home can. So some students have taken advantage of that and essentially attended the whole course remotely. Um, so we... Uh, just had a student from uh, Boston. Um, her name is Catherine. If you're looking to hire someone, she got the top score in our uh, end of semester assessment and uh, would be a great backend or all around Drupal developer. So plug for companies that are looking, shoot me an email. Um, we're in third wave territory, so I will put you in touch with her and, um, and I, uh, you know, you'll get uh, a great employee. Uh, but basically, a number of people take the course fully online. And in Corona times, all of our courses are temporarily mm -hmm. offered exclusively online. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as somebody who's been working from home pretty much my entire life, I can definitely say there are always things that you wish you could do in person and the times that I do get to go on site and be together with a client or with other employees or things like that, you know, mm -hmm. I can't put into words the, the stark contrast, you know, um, just recently I started a new job and, you know, right now nobody's going anywhere. So there are five of us that all started in the same week and they had us do our onboarding process for for it's for ffw it's not a secret um for ffw together yeah. but after like our second or third time of all getting on the phone together i realized there was something missing from this onboarding process and it was the act of like going to lunch together or getting coffee together that you just really can only get when you're mating in person Definitely. so we started you know interacting a lot more on slack after we kind of all had that, that moment of realization. And, um, I'm sure that that little chat room of five people will probably exist for quite some time. Um, even after the official onboarding process is over. So, 
Yeah. I'm sure it's something that a lot of people are thinking about. And I'm surprised that we haven't done a Drupal Easy podcast yet about remote work, but it's on my list of, of suggested topics. Actually, yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, and it's interesting. You mentioned that Slack room of five people sticking around. Um, yeah, that, that sense of community and, um, ability to, I guess, talk with a smaller group is very important. And, um, through our courses, we have Slack channels per semester, and then we have one larger Slack channel for all alumni who have ever taken our course. And I think it's important to have that separation because students are often comfortable asking certain questions with their cohort, whereas they might, you might post job opportunities in the alumni channel for everyone, but maybe there are certain questions you feel are more beginner that you're more comfortable asking to a smaller group. Oh yeah. It takes a, a large amount of vulnerability to admit that you don't know something, right. at least, at least what I would consider in our culture. I mean, for sure. Yeah. you know, it's, it's hard for me to say that's universal for everyone, but it's my experience. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, I actually recently trying to get out of a funk with uh, related to Corona being at home, wife and kids were all just in the same room all the time. Um, I, um, I enrolled in some, I think they're called mastermind groups, but basically networking for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, it's been very interesting. They sort of, um, put our names in a hat and have us have like one-on-one -on -one calls with somebody random once a week. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, helpful. Um, I've also found myself doing projects around the house. Um, I'm actually taking this call from what used to be our storage closet and is now my office, <laughs> which definitely wouldn't have been the case if, uh, if it weren't for all the extra time that I, that I have now. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm currently in, uh, my office slash my son's bedroom. <laughs> So I definitely know some of some of that. I mean, I really can't uh, claim much. I I definitely have plenty of of privilege, but um, the <clears throat> the pandemic has has made everyone adjust their priorities. So um, one one thing that I think is really interesting about let's say the Drupal Easy Academy that's the one I have the most experience with. I have. I have been a mentor for their students. I think it's like seven or eight times now. Um, some of them very successfully, you know, we talk, you know, at least once a year, even seven or eight years later. Um, and some of them, we never got beyond like the initial hello, who are you email. Um, some of that is just dependent on what was going on in the world or what was going on with that particular student. But, um, it's a thing that I actually think is a really powerful part of the program Mike put together was hooking up each student with an individual mentor that was not the teacher and not one of their cohort. I don't know. Do you have any anything like that in your program? We have ongoing alumni meetups where we work on the Drupal.tv project. Um, so when a semester finishes, we will essentially graduate the current cohort into developers for Drupal.tv. Um, it's a open source, you know, volunteer basis project, but um, 
what that ends up doing is exposing the current cohort to the wider alumni network. And you might have alumni who took the course two years before just interested in working on Drupal TV because it's a cool project. Um, so especially when we have the in-person component, um, I found that to be very useful. Um, and it's always, um, I don't know if surprising is the word, but uh, somewhat surprising or interesting to see who actually shows up to these um, alumni meetups because it's often people who took the course three years ago and are senior developers now. And it's not necessarily who I would expect. Um, when I, when I originally designed them. Um, but that's our primary um, ongoing networking. Aside from that, students always message me with questions. I encourage the other Debug Academy employees to ask their technical questions out in the open in the student channels um, so the students feel more comfortable asking their technical questions as well. Okay, so you mentioned employees. Like, what what size is your team? And I don't know, do you, do you work on things other than... I mean, we've talked a lot about the three-month program, but maybe we could talk a little bit about what other what other sorts of things is is it is it all Debug Academy or are there like you know two parent two sister companies or something like that? How how does how does your how are you organized? So um, there technically are two companies. There's Debug Society and Debug Academy, and Debug Society came first. Um, at the moment. We're letting debug it. We're, we're pretty much running everything through Debug Academy. But basically what we do is we have the three-month course. We actually canceled our summer semester largely due to corona. I think people didn't have the stomach for a three-month course. I know I didn't really, to be honest. Um, but what we do is um, I hire our alumni as full-time developers, and um, they will often help out in the three-month course as you know, teaching assistant, which helps them gain experience and become more senior. Um, but also, I'll, I'll uh, try to put them on miscellaneous projects. So one example is American Relief Coalition for Syria. Um, that's a project that was a class project. It was one of the three-month class projects. Um, it was paid, but it was paid at a student rate. So we essentially uh, passed along the payment to the students who did the most homework. Hmm. Um, but after the course finished, I did hire one of the students full-time and um, they were able to continue working on that project. Um, so at the moment we have four employees. Um, let's see, three of us are developers and um, myself, a senior developer, another developer, and we recently um, hired our first designer, which which is very exciting to me because it opens up a number of opportunities. Uh, but in terms of breakdown of work, traditionally, I would say myself and two others are working. Oops. Uh, traditionally, myself and two others are working on miscellaneous projects as contractors. Um, we run the, I teach the three month course, but my full-time employee does the surrounding administrative work for it and um, meets with students as much as they'd like to help them on homework and such. Um, but more recently, I took myself off of all of my contracting work. This is about 
two or three weeks ago. I took myself off of all of my contracting work so that I could focus full time on developing new courses as well as some new initiatives, um, including a Drupal TV redesign. Um, so you'll see Debug Academy traditionally has the three month course as our focus, but more recently has a number of other offerings, uh, including um, two week courses for intermediate developers to become architects. Um, and one day courses such as React for Drupal and Advanced React for Drupal, Advanced Module Development. Um, these are all set to be offered at DrupalCon, but now I've, I'm taking the time to uh, make these a bigger part of Debug Academy overall. So I would say if you're looking to interact with us, bringing us on for company training, you know, get your team up to speed in React, um, make your developers more senior, uh, send hire a junior developer that you don't have time to train and send them to our three-month course. Those are all great options. Um, additionally, we know best practices very well. We spend a great deal of time making sure uh, we know what's going on. So um, feel free to build your project yourself and bring us on to um, consult in terms of architecture or even work with you full-time on the project. Great. Um, we talked a little bit about Drupal.tv, so I think we should just make sure that we mention that for people. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that it's a project that's built by your students and, and maintained by your previous students, but yeah. uh, maybe if someone hasn't heard about it yet, I think if you're a listener to this podcast, we do mention it quite often. Uh, but tell us a little bit about Drupal.tv. Yeah, so um, Drupal.tv is essentially... A one-stop shop for recordings from various conferences. Um, Kevin Thull, he has uh, been recording uh, Drupal conferences for years, and they were just getting dropped into YouTube accounts belonging to the various camp organizers. So Drupal.tv is a centralized um, free resource for watching videos from all of the Drupal conferences, including DrupalCon. Um, we have, uh, bigger plans for it. We, we hope to expand it slightly to bring in more, um, centralized event management for, for smaller events. Um, but at the moment, a camp organizer can upload all their videos to YouTube like they normally do. They can go to Drupal.tv and drop the playlist URL. And um, our student-built custom module will um, essentially call YouTube's API and um, automatically create all the media entities in Drupal, and it'll post all the videos um, in the Drupal.tv website. So you don't have to upload them one by one. So is that using something like Migrate on the back end or feeds or just totally your own special sauce? It's, um, no, it's, it's custom code. It's, um, it's using the Drupal batch API and it's just calling entity create for media and using YouTube API to retrieve the appropriate data. So that's, that's definitely part of your, you know, early, early, uh, induction into Drupal is like, exactly why, why, you know, pull it off the shelf when we can learn something by building one ourselves. Um, and I'm not saying that one's right or one's wrong, but I just, I'm, 
for, for something that, you know, deep, an integration like that, that's so important to the site, it totally makes sense to build it yourself because you have total control over the every single, you know, interaction with the server and, and the other entities. So, um, yeah, you don't always need to use a, a, a contrib module. There are there are plenty of cases. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, I know that we're going to get too much more into the weeds about that right now. But, um, yeah, I, I do think um, it would be... It would be definitely like, you know, walking past uh, a really big, important thing and not mentioning it would be just, we'd be doing a disservice to our listeners if we didn't talk a little bit about um, some of the things that have been happening in the United States of America right now. Um, there have been a number of, you know, protests that uh, are part of the Black Lives Matter movement and talking about, you know, uh, police reforms related to the death of George Floyd. This has all been going on, but it is making a lot of companies and people sit up and think about, you know, the way that they've been, uh, the way that they've been, you know, creating cultures in their company that are, you know, less inclusive. And uh, I'm sure we could talk about, the problem for quite a long time. But I do think that this is a subject that you have some skin in the game. And also you have got um, a really interesting, you know, opportunity because in the DC area, um, I think that's probably one of the more traditionally, you know, um, it has a lot of diversity, but it also means there's lots of you know, segregation and, and a really big um, division between, let's say, the haves and the have-nots. Right. So maybe do you want to say a few words about that? And here come the dogs. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I'd say diversity and inclusion, it's always been a big part um, or something very important to me, you could say. Um from the initiation of my company. Um, my uh, ethnicity, I'm actually Palestinian. My parents are Palestinian. And so I can empathize with a lot of the issues that are um, going on. Um, when I went to Palestine, my uh, I was in a taxi cab with my wife and a tear grass grenade was thrown at our taxi, you know, and we've gone through all sorts of security checkpoints and faced all sorts of judgments, even in the U S. Um, so I think I can empathize better than many, um, with, uh, being judged and, uh, seen differently, um, at a systematic level. Um, so with that said, it's uh, it's make, it's important not to make your inclusiveness be, I'd say, performative. Um, there are a number of little things you can do that are maybe little for you, but big for others. So, for example, I um, I've never done much marketing, but when I wanted to get into marketing um, last year, I put out a job listing. I made sure the the language was inclusive. Um, you know, we're not saying anything like be a ninja in marketing. 
Um, so use plain language um, that's welcoming. There are a number of tools out there to scan um, the terms you've used to make sure they're um, not off-putting. Um, and through that process, I went through different channels. So maybe I normally would just go to LinkedIn, but I went to Twitter and a number of other channels to make sure I had a diverse applicant pool. Um, at the end of the day, um, I received around 80 applicants for an internship and um, I ended up, I was intending to hire one person. I ended up hiring three um, interns to just give them all a chance and see what they can do. And um, the all, all three of them, um, I never explicitly asked their race, so I don't want to say what it is, but... Um, you know, they uh, were not white, you could say. Um, <laughs> and, um, one of them actually told me, hey, I really want this position. I want the experience and I'm willing to do it for free. Just make it an unpaid internship to give me a leg up on the competition. And, um, you know, it was, I don't think it was unreasonable for them to say that. But um, from my position, I think it's important that I say no. So I said, no, we're going to pay you. We're going to pay you you know, $15 an hour. It's, um, it's not, you know, it, it's what we could do. It, it's what we could afford, but it's also not trying to like go as low as we're legally allowed to. Um, and I, I did that so that they would ha have the opportunity to do it longer term and to focus on it while they were doing it. Um, our company was impacted by those, um, three team members, um, and whenever I hire people, I always make sure to make sure that they have um, that I'm looking at people who have different backgrounds. Um, at the end of the day, you pick someone who um, can get the job done. Um, but it's important that you you don't unknowingly um, restrict who's even applying to your company with language that's not inclusive or an environment that's not welcoming or um, pay that's too low and only affordable to people who can live with their parents. Um, so another thing that I, I do to sort of do my part in uh, expanding opportunities to others, um, we don't advertise this because I don't want it to be abused. Um, but if somebody um, ever tells me, hey, I can't afford the payment plan, um, I want to take the course, you know, really badly. We, we always leave a few spots in the course for people who fit that profile. So we might say, okay, sure, you know, you can't afford the cost of the course. What could you afford? Yeah. And we see if we can make it work. And if they really can't afford it, we'll say, okay, well, you're going to be on the short list for one of the people, one of the positions uh, for people who just pay nothing until they're hired. Um, and... Uh, at the end of the day, these aren't documented policies. These are humane <laughs> policies where um, I only, uh, not to say I don't trust others to um, be reasonable and whatnot, but I think these are important and delicate. And um, I make it so that if anyone's in that situation, I ask my employees to just give that person my phone number and they'll talk to me and I'll figure out what makes sense with them. Um, but also after the course finishes, if you have someone who 
maybe bit off more than they could chew financially and is on a payment plan um, and says, hey, you know, I didn't get a job as soon as I thought I would. Um, and the payments, you know, are tough or, you know, um, something to that effect. 100% of the time that someone has said that to me, I've paused the payments and um, I do not charge interest. So I have students who maybe took the course four years ago whose payment plans are paused. And I don't even keep track of it because typically those people will reach it out to me again once they land a job. They'll appreciate the gesture. They'll either continue the payment plan themselves or they'll refer people that they know to our program, even if it didn't work out for them, because they know we're providing something valuable. They know we're being fair um, and they know they're not putting the people they refer in a bad situation. And I think, um, you know, the best thing I could say this one is like on behalf of the Drupal community, thank you for doing that sort of thing. Uh, and I, you know, I know that it gets repaid in many different ways. It definitely does. And, um, thank you. I, you know, I don't, I don't really see it as, um, I know you're not doing it for the accolades, yeah. uh, but it's 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 uh, one of the things that I could do in my position as the person with the microphone right now is is say thank you. So uh, there you go. Well, I don't have a really good transition out of that, so let's let's just go ahead and end the show. <laughs> And um, if someone still needs more information, they want to sign up for one of your summer DrupalCon classes, are those still available as of this recording? They are. Um, I would encourage them to go to debugacademy.com. Um, right on the homepage, press Upcoming Classes, and you'll see the beginner classes. We have... Um, maybe graduates of the Drupal Easy program who are looking for something that's strictly backend. Um, we have a uh, PHP and Symfony um, class, which lasts a few weeks. And mid-level to senior developers, we have um, Become an Architect uh, series. Those classes are about two and a half hours each, and there are four of them. Take them on your own schedule. Um, so yeah, please check us out at debugacademy.com. Well, and anything dealing with React, I think React has got to be one of the most resume-stuffing worthy things that you can do at this point. Definitely. And one one interesting and funny thing um, I found is so many people want to learn React. Um, a number of people who take my program take it because, uh, take my Drupal program, they take it and they really, really want to be React developers. Um, but I'd say to people, it's easier to land a job in some ways as a Drupal developer because there's less competition. <laughs> if I'm just being blunt, there's less competition. Um, and this, uh, let me clarify, this really applies specifically depending on where you live. Um, so for people in the DC area or maybe in Boston or maybe New York, um, possibly Florida, um, in Drupal hubs, um, I would encourage you to take a look at Drupal, take a look at my program, take a look at Drupal Easy's program, and um, look into using Drupal to get your foot in the door. Because the, 
the most important thing is to land the first programming job. Once you land your first programming job, you've got credibility. You can learn other languages. Employers will take a chance on you. And in a lot of cases, Drupal employers are more open to hiring their first Drupal developer um, as a junior developer than you might find React, where it's a much more competitive landscape. So I often tell people, use Drupal to get your foot in the door. If you like it, stick with it. If you don't, learn React after that and switch. And um, for the most part, people people are, are convinced of that line of reasoning, and then they like Drupal enough to stick with it. Very good advice. Um, so debugacademy.com, Drupal.tv, anything else that you want people to check out? One cool thing I've discovered, though, is miscellaneous groups, miscellaneous communities. There are so many of them popping up. Um, lately, and with so many of us being isolated, um, unlike usual times, um, I would say to check them out, um, take care of your mental health, see if you can find a community, um, give yourself time to go out for walks and whatnot. So I personally joined some entrepreneur-focused groups, the Mega Maker Club, which is essentially a Slack channel. Um, that has been great for me, networking and learning from others as well as Founder Summit. Again, it's entrepreneur-focused if you're interested in that. Um, so I'd encourage you to check those out or find communities that you're interested in and um, just go for it. Talk to others. Um, don't, don't isolate yourself too much. Awesome. Uh, Ashraf, thanks so much for being here and thanks for everything that you have done so far for the Drupal community. And I'm sure preemptive thank you for what you will achieve in the years to come. Um, hopefully DrupalCons will resume one day, or maybe I'll get a chance to go to uh, the GovCon or something like that, and we'll get a chance to, to meet up in person. Until that day, this has been the Drupal Easy Podcast, and I will throw it back to Mike for the rest of the show. Thank you. appreciate having me. Thank you, Ryan, for that really interesting interview. Uh, much appreciated, and thanks to both of them for the kind words about the Drupal Career Online program, which leads me to a lovely segue to talk about how the next semester of the DCO begins August 31st. So if you're interested in learning more, just go to drupalec.com DCO, and you can sign up for one of our free one-hour Taste of Drupal webinars where you can learn all about what the Drupal Career Online program entails. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our new Composer Basics for Drupal Developers online workshop. It's actually a seven-hour workshop. I split it up into two half days. The next one is on Monday, July 20th from 1.30 to 5 p.m. Eastern here in the U.S., and Tuesday, July 21st, again, 1.30 to 5 p.m. Eastern for part two. To get more information about that, just go to drupaleasy.com slash composer dash basics. And as always, our monthly professional local development with DDEV workshop is coming up on Tuesday, July 7th. Just go to drupaleasy.com slash DDEV for more information about that. All right, enough chit chat from me. Let's get right back to some discussion of Drupal News with myself and Mr. Ryan Price.
I am here with Ryan Price. We decided to get together and just kind of do like a news roundup. Yes, it's good to be back. And we kind of need to like insert a sound effect of like a whip, you know? <laughs> I was thinking like the old like uh, Morse code. Hey, I just watched, uh, I was thinking Western because uh, I just watched uh, finally Toy Story 4. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like if ever a Toy Story could make me cry, that's probably the one. Oh, they all make me cry. I'm I'm, I'm easy. Well, way. Inside Out, Inside Out definitely got me, but yeah. for Toy Story, like that, that's the one for me. It's hard to believe. Like each of those Toy Story movies seems to be better than the last, and I don't know how they keep doing that. Like we loved it. We loved the, this fourth one. Yeah. It was great. My, my, well, if we, since we're talking about movies right now, my personal opinion, three is the like the weakest of the bunch. Mm, I don't know if I could even in good faith rank them. I'm going, I'm going number one, number four, number two, number three. There All you right. Go. That's, that's my hot take. Should we do a spoiler alert? I think the movie came out two years ago before we talk more about it. I think we're, oh. I think we're in the clear. <laughs> Hit the 30 second skip button, everyone. What do you want to say about it? All right, let's do some news. You ready? I am ready. First up, uh, and this was I somewhat surprising, and maybe you have a different take. Uh, Drupal 7, end of life, extended oh, by by a year. Yeah. And this is the weird thing. It's not like it wasn't going to end at the end of this year. It was going to run out run out the end of next year. Yeah. So it's extended until November 28th, 2022, which is, what, two and a half years-ish? from now well it's 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 more than three years since the announcement was made right and so i'm like who needs three years to update a website that's what i was thinking when i heard this originally i was like yeah i mean i wonder if it's you know there there are i mean there, there's a lot of sites on drupal 7 still i don't i think i saw lot. a number well and i mean there's still a decent handful on drupal 6 yeah, we don't talk about those. That's like, you know. I, I didn't I, I didn't say that it was a good thing. I just That's said that every content management system's like, you know, shame. Yeah. Um so so my initial thought about this was like I was like, okay, Kremlinology, why would someone make this decision? I mean, like, you know, it says on the on the announcement, hey, you know, the whole world kind of shut down for three months there. So we're gonna give you some extra time. So I'm thinking like, okay, well maybe it would have been smart to do a little bit of extra time, but you know, I, by the time I read it, I was already spoiled. I already knew that it was an extra year, so it was already coloring my decision. Like by the time I'm like reading the justification, I've already formed an opinion, right? Uh, but the best thing I could think of was, you know, this is this is kind of like a delicate time where there's still a lot of Drupal seven sites out there. There's still a lot of people maybe like considering: do they upgrade? Do they you know move to a different platform? Do they just go completely like all, you know, content in the cloud services and kind of stuff. So my only thought is like, maybe if they make it, you know, less painful to switch, if they, they, you know, extend the fuse of the time bomb a little bit longer, that maybe it will help people consider sticking with the Drupal platform is the best thing I could think of. Like, I don't know how you get to a year though from that still, but. Yeah, so I have I have three thoughts, and hopefully I'll remember all three by the time I get to the end of the first one. Uh, I'm curious as to I mean I under, I kind of understand the timing, you know, with COVID nineteen. No, absolutely. Um, 
but was there some data that somebody saw, you know, that the DA saw or Dries or core maintainers saw that made them think, hmm, you know, had this been something that maybe had been brewing in the back of people's minds before COVID-19? So I'm curious about like what triggered this to be announced now. So that's that's thought number one. Um, thought number two, which is interesting, and I'm surprised you haven't brought it up yet. Um, that bas- this basically means that Drupal 7's end of life will come after Drupal 8's end of life. Oh yeah. A year later, so Drupal 8 is end of life on November 2nd, 2021, um, and that's mainly due to Symphony 3 being end of life by then. Um, so Drupal 7 will be maintained longer than Drupal 8, which is kind of a weird thing if you if you think about it. Um, and then number three, and I can't believe I actually remembered all three. That's a, that's a win for my, my memory. And this goes to something that you were just mentioning. I actually, I'm willing to bet that there are a significant number of sites out there, and I don't know what significant is, maybe 10, 15% of all Drupal 7 sites, where the site owner just, it's not even on their radar that this is a thing, that their site is going to be end of life at some point. I mean, I, I can speak from personal experience. I have a client that I guarantee you, other than the times that I email them and I and I you know I communicate with them that we need to start thinking about this, that's probably the only time that they that they even like they're even aware of it. Yeah. So I think it's going to be um, it's going to have to come from both directions. It's going to have to be the site owners driving this a little bit, but I also think it's going to have to be some you know, site maintainers and, and agencies driving this and saying, look, we need to get moving on this. Otherwise here, you know, here's what could potentially go sideways. Well, I, I'm curious now I'd have, I'm going to have to go look it up, but I would have to type in that would be loud. Uh, Drupal 8 come out in 2016. Yeah. Yes. Right. And, and so that's, that's a six year window. <laughs> I still feel like it's a, like, even when you think about like, oh, well, you know, some people move slowly or whatever. I mean, it's a testament to the fact that Drupal 7 is, you know, still very usable and that they've sure. been able to update it to work with PHP 7.4. And are we skipping PHP versions again? Are we going to PHP 9 or something like that? Crazy. Um, you no, know, I'm sure like next. Yeah. we're going to have to like keep Drupal core updated and stuff as PHP evolves now over this long bit of time, right? The, I've seen some not huge issues with deprecations, but like, especially if you have custom code, like you're going to have to go in and upgrade stuff and maintain things. And, you know, like PHP is going to start leaving some things from the P from the PHP four days or three days or whenever Drupal seven came out long in the dust by the time, right. uh, you know, the Drupal seven is finally sunset. Well, luckily we're getting better. I mean, we're building tools to make that easier. I mean, for Drupal eight, we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's, 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 that's my, my other piece about this is that I was working full time on a Drupal seven site for, you know, almost the last two and a half years two different sites, but there were both Drupal seven sites, you know, that were talking about upgrading. They were planning on upgrading. It was going to happen at some point. Uh, but you know, lots of custom code and lots of like interactions with other systems. Like it wasn't something that you could just like, oh, well, we just, everything's completely self-contained. So we just switch a flip a switch and we're done. 
right? Like a lot of things had to be rewritten, um, you know, reevaluated, sunsetted, you know, and it wasn't so much problems with the contrib stuff. It was with like all the, all the other moving parts, the custom code and, and interactions with other systems and these, you know, sort of like big enterprise c- companies. And the, the weird thing was some of the contrib modules, you know, from when that site was created, right? And we're talking now like seven or eight years old, they're just completely not maintained anymore. You know, maybe there's some fixes for things in the issue queue or like you can at least find someone who's had a similar problem. But like when we were doing the the PHP version upgrade, I remember like I think it was 7.2 to 7.3, there was a lot of patching. And and we had to sort of like come up with, I guess, you know, a, a modern approach to patching because it, it was part of every single upgrade from then on was making sure the patches were were okay, right? Yeah, and, you know, from some client's perspective, you know, if the site's running today, even, you know, they think everything, you know, their perception might be that everything's fine. But from the developer or maintainer standpoint, it's running on PHP 3.5, it's running on Drupal 6, it's, you know, there's all kinds of security updates or modules that aren't maintained. You know, from, from our standpoint, it's like, it's kind of on fire. But mm-hmm. if the site's still up and running and everything looks fine, from the client standpoint, it's not a fire. So bridging that gap and educating the client on, yes, this is stuff that, you know, if we leave it, eventually we're going to get bit. That's a, that's sometimes a, not a difficult conversation to have, but a, um, sometimes it's, it's difficult to convince the client or to convince the client enough where they will actually put money towards those issues. Well, and, and one of the people I talked to recently who has a Drupal 6 site, that they, you know, were having to do some something to that that person didn't even have the long-term support that we get from like my drop wizard and and the other friends that are out there who do that. And I not not the not the even the paid support, the the free patches that you can get for like right. the views module and for core, they're not installing those. I don't understand. <laughs> It's just a matter of time. All right, let's move on. We've, we've, we've been 10 minutes talking about this and we've got about 14 topics to cover. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> next up, I know this is something both you and I are probably very excited about. Um, the Drupal Association has started a, um, a mentorship program for scholarship awardees for DrupalCon. Well, yeah, so I, th- I think everybody knows by now, but if, if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast in a while, or you don't catch up on Drupal News that often, DrupalCon is happening online in July. Spoiler right? alert. <laughs> and uh, because of that, the DA is working really hard to make sure a lot of new people and people who may not otherwise be able to afford it can attend DrupalCon. And, you know, this is, this is a chance to really like do something interesting in, in the, you know, conference space and invite all these new people into the community. But since they're new, they won't be able to get the sort of face-to-face warm welcome that you could get from going to DrupalCon in person and sitting down and eating lunch and talking to people at coffee or before the sessions start. So they want to hook you up with 
a mentor, if you're one of these scholarship recipients, to to be that sort of like first, you know, conversation that you have with someone and hopefully, you know, get you get you signed up for a Drupal.org account and fill out your profile and and do some of the sort of things that maybe someone might recommend to you if you've never been to any Drupal events before, if you don't know about the community in your local area, that kind of stuff. It feels like a buddy program. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Right. Because that's, it's, it's not mentor. It's not like meant to be long-term mentorship, although there's nothing stopping it from, from doing that, but it's really just to have a friendly face, you know, online, um, you know, at the event saying, Hey, look, welcome to DrupalCon. Um, you know, here are some things you might want to do. What are you interested in? Oh, let me introduce you to this person and just kind of, you know, act almost like a, like an icebreaker for, yeah. um, for folks who are new to the community. And I think there will be some, some other kinds of events to, you know, like the first timers get togethers or something like that. But yeah, this having those one-on-one moments is, is going to be challenging when it's just like chat rooms and stuff. Um, you know, for, for me, like you have, have given me a lot of cool opportunities that, you know, you host the trainings every year. And I would say what, you know, five times out of seven, I've done, helped you out with the trainings every single year. I make a new conference pal at one of those trainings who I then see the next year. And I get to hear their story of like, oh yeah, well now I'm, you know, the lead developer and now I'm, you know, getting to interview the next person who's going to be doing the job that I was doing when I took that initial training. And, oh, I've moved on to my second, you know, second job at a different company now that like these people, when they were just getting started in the community and now, now they're like part of, you know, the Drupal ecosystem. I think it's really, it's always been a cool thing to watch that happen from people that I knew this is their first experience with the Drupal community ever was, you know, coming and taking our class. That's always been cool. So there will be links in the show notes and um, applications still open. So if you want to be a scholarship mentor, click the link and then there's a giant, well, maybe not a giant, but a significantly sized, I want to be a scholarship mentor button that you can click to fill out the form. Yep. All right, so this next one, um, I don't know anything about this, Ryan, so this one's all yours, but I mean, I understand the title that there's new examples for the REST API in D8, which makes me think that you are doing something for your job involving Drupal 8 REST API. So actually, this was a tweet that I saw from the maintainer who, I, I don't know if it's pronounced the same way as we would in English, but Valerie, um, and... He, I'm assuming his pronoun is a he, uh, just posted today that there was an issue open seven years ago to have a REST API examples module, and it just got committed today. So as we record this. <laughs> so that was really cool. Val is also one of the DrupalCon, um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, on mentoring on the... Um, on the contribution day. Track, like, track chairs or something like that? Not a track chair, but... Oh, um, a mentor. I see what you yeah, mean. Yeah, like mentor lead. He's one of the mentor leads. I there think. you go. Yes. Yeah, so um, this is actually something that has affected me in the past that, you know, um, I don't think I've built the Drupal 8 site that didn't have some sort of API in it. 
Um, yeah, and that examples module. I mean, whenever I need to do something with one of the new APIs, you know, there's two places I go, and I go to Drupal.org documentations, and I go to this module for sample code. Yep. It's just solid. It's just you know, it's vetted, and it's you know, it's right. You know, it's done the right way. Well, and you know, yeah, you know, it's documented, right? I mean, I think that's yeah. probably the number one point. It's like I could copy and paste somebody else's thing, but I'd be like, well, why did you use that function instead of this other one that I know exists? And at least you know, they they're like, well, this is a way you could do it, right? All right, next up, the maintainers initiative. So, yeah, yeah, you want to talk about this one? Um, so Greg Boggs, who lives in Portland and uh, is one of the we sort of have like a, I don't know, a ruling council for our Drupal meetup in Portland. Oh, uh, sounds very of, medieval. It's all of the people who have been the, the you know, sort of like meetup lead in the past. And we're kind of always looking for the next volunteer to, to take over so that no one person gets burned out. Um, I was doing it up until we found out that we we're going to have a second baby. And then I was like, Y'all got to find someone else. Um, so anyway, Greg, he has been working on some interesting contrib modules and trying to get things upgraded to Drupal 8 and now Drupal 9. And um, he is really, really active on Slack. And they actually have called this an official initiative now, I guess, which is to um, just like give project maintainers the resources that they need and help them, you know, farm their issue queues and get them volunteers to help them work on low hanging fruit and that kind of stuff. When you read the blog post and obviously the link will be in the show notes. Um, it seems like <laughs> it's Greg offering to help maintain your module. Like it, it, it seems like he's trying to be a catalyst and maybe it, it's not just him, but, I believe the post was originally on his personal blog and it was reposted on, right. on Drupal.org. Um, but it seems like he's trying to be a catalyst to get the ball rolling in some exactly. of these contributed modules yeah. and get other maintainers or other contributors kind of comfortable and you know just get the ball rolling, then hand the ball to someone else and then move on to the next module type of thing. Well, and this dovetails really nicely with the, the interview you did with Ted a couple weeks ago where they're talking about the the robots that scan modules and, and yeah, help them the, get upgraded. The project yeah. update bot, right. Yeah. I guess, you know, the, the one thing I want to mention about this maintainers project is, you know, if you have some experience, and I guess I'm coming out from the standpoint of, you know, being a module maintainer is, it's a commitment, right? Mm -hmm. Because once you put a module out there on Drupal.org, it's, everything's easy. I'm going to use air quotes here, but easy while you're developing the module, while you are using the module on a client site or on your organization site. But, you know, because generally you have time to work on the module in those situations and you want to because it's, it's you know, it's something that you're actively using. But as soon as you're not using it, re using it regularly or you've launched the site and, you know, they're no longer your client anymore, it's just in maintenance mode. Can we use the word millstone? Uh, we could. <laughs> but you know it just seems like that's when things get really difficult um and like you said you know some of these drupal 7 modules you know they were written eight years ago or longer right i mean or longer yeah so um it 
seems like this is a good opportunity for folks who have experience maintaining modules. Maybe they don't do it anymore, but, you know, it's not looking for long, you know, it's this initiative I don't believe is looking for long-term maintainers. Well, maybe it is, but what it's, it's, I think what it's looking for in the short short term is more people like Greg and Damian McKenna. You know, Damian's also, you know, uh, started this with Greg, you know, who could, they're almost like a, like a SWAT team. Yeah, you know, putting out fires, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. They're going to come into your to, to, to contributor module. If there's patches ready to be committed, they're going to ask for maintainership. They're going to, you know, apply the patches. They're going to, you know, you know, look at all of the RTBCs or needs review and just kind of, you know, I don't know what their time frame is. Maybe spend a weekend or something, just you know, doing as much as they can. Maybe roll a new release and then move on to the next module. So. I don't think in the short term they're looking for people to make like a five-year commitment, which is, you know, difficult at best. Um, I think they are looking, though, in the short term for for experienced maintainers who can act as those catalysts and, you know, put out the fires. Yeah. And I think there there have been quite a few projects, too, where they are looking for a new, like, someone please take this module over. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing that, you know, those modules have been abandoned. The person that, that created right. it has gotten two other jobs since that module was released and doesn't doesn't really participate that much anymore too right so right if you're interested in doing that this is a great opportunity to you know get some some mentoring from greg and damien and whoever else gets involved just to get the ball rolling and then you kind of almost have like a if i get into trouble at least i know i can ping those folks and I got to say, so, so if you're someone who's listening to this podcast and the idea of like writing code that other people are going to use is scary to you in some way, I'm going to tell you the hardest part about being a module maintainer is not, has nothing to do with code. It is being able to read people's, you know, issues in the queue understand what they're actually talking about because oftentimes someone will be talking about something super specific, but what they want is, you know, some other kind of a solution. You know, you have to be like tease out the real information out of the the weird thing that they're, they're talking about, decide what things are important to work on and what things are less important to work on. Like, well, this is not something that everybody that uses this module needs. So maybe you should start another project or just leave it here as a patch or something like that. It's all that sort of like logistical, you know, cat herding kind of stuff. That's the job of the maintainer. The writing code can be done by people in the issue queue and the volunteers and, you know, people that need that feature to be done can write the code, but they need those people to, to be the project manager, to be the owner of that, of that um, package. So, and you don't need to be able to write PHP code to do that. And and actually I would say for the people that, you know, feel like their their role is more, you know, you're they're better communicators and they're better at writing documentation, a lot of these modules need good documentation, right? So that's Be careful. That's, there's a rabbit there's a rabbit hole nearby. Be careful. Yeah. It. It, consider it. That's what this is a you know, I I can't I can't tell you how to live your life, but this is a, a worthwhile effort. If you are even a little bit interested, um, take a look at some of these projects. Let's talk about, it's a, it's a small little obscure topic that we haven't mentioned yet on the podcast, and it's called Drupal 9. 
Drupal 9. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so old when we talk about Drupal 9. I think it goes to the fact that, you know, how much effort ha- the community has put in into making these major releases of Drupal. I don't want to call them easy, but let's just say, you know, much, 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 much easier than in the past. Oh, yeah. Right? Like going from Drupal 8 to Drupal 9, yes, there's a little bit of work involved. You know, you have to make sure you're not using deprecated functions or contributed modules with, with contributed modules with deprecated functions. Um, but it's not like going from, you know, 7 to 8 where it could potentially mean re-architecting your site and rewriting, you know, API modules and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, Drupal 9 is out and yeah, I guess we can expect it to be with us for the next four years, you know, if, if, if Drupal 8 has taught us anything, yeah. you know, Drupal 8, between Drupal 8 and Drupal 9 was, it was actually about what, three and a half years, I guess. I think that's about right. Yeah. So have you updated anything or upgraded anything to Drupal 9 yet? So, so far, no. I mean, actually a lot of my like personal projects are Drupal, Drupal 7. 6. Okay. I have at least one Drupal 6 out there. Um, so, so there's a lot of, a lot of like, oh, uh, I'll have to get to that someday, but usually it's just enough that I'm like keeping the server up to date and keeping the, the security patches going on those old projects, uh, at work now. So I don't remember if we've actually talked about this on the podcast, but I have started working at FFW. I used to work there a couple of years ago, if people have been listening that long. Uh, but now I actually don't work directly on code anymore i'm what they call a solutions consultant so i i help to sort of like write proposals and gather requirements and uh do a lot of like people communication and not i don't really get my hands dirty from the like opening text editors perspective anymore i've just started so it's still early days for me but um what i was doing was i was showing someone uh, else who's kind of new on our team, how to install Drupal and like get it going on their laptop. And I just sort of looked up and I was like, oh, you're using Drupal 9.0. Like that was the first time I'd ever actually seen someone other than me use Drupal 9, you know, in like in the real world kind of a thing. Right. You know, not not as like a, a video I was watching or a, you know, user group I was attending or something. I was like, oh, this is real. Drupal 9 is here. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I don't know if you've noticed or seen me tweet about it. I'm going through the process of upgrading DrupalEasy.com to Drupal 9. On on the interweb, like you're showing it. I'm recording every second that I, that I work on it, yeah. Um, started on Drupal 8.8, and I'm actually doing, it's a little bit more than just going to Drupal 9. I'm, um, I'm cleaning up some modules that you know, are no longer used on the site and, you know, removing some stuff. And I think I'm actually going to, while I am using um, the new Drupal core recommended dependency, I'm not yet using the new scaffolding plugin. So I think the next video is going to be, you know, updating the scaffolding plugin, which really has nothing to do with going to Drupal 9, but, you know, it's my site and I want to do it. So it's going to be in the video. But so far, I mean, the upgrade status module is really doing the heavy lifting. It's telling me exactly what needs to be updated, where there are problems. And I'm just kind of just going down the checklist little by little. I have one of your videos open in a tab right now. 
Oh, yeah, upgrade status module. That should be, you know, we're going to do picks of the week next. Um, that could be a pick of the week right there. Because if you are trying to upgrade to Drupal 9 without upgrade status module, I fear you are doing too much. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make that Ted's pick of the week. Because <laughs> he's not here. So Should we mention the email that we got? I, I think it was really cool. I mean, I, I think if someone takes the time, number one, we'll get to the content of the email, but somebody takes the time to sit down and write a message like that, I think they deserve to be shouted out, um, especially this person. Uh, yeah, his name is Graham. And we, we gave him a shout out a few episodes ago um, for something else. But So he wrote this, this nice email about how he's been listening to the podcast and catching up. And my favorite line was... Um, I enjoy, I, I've, lately I've enjoyed hearing Ryan, Andrew, and even Ted on the podcast again. <laughs> and honestly, the even Ted part of it was my favorite part of that whole email. Anytime someone can take a, a slight, you know, a slight <laughs> pot shot at Ted like that. <laughs> and even Ted. <laughs> so, anyway, thanks, Graham. Another shout out, so. Well, and Graham, if you're, I mean, I don't actually know what the uh, postal workers in Canada drive. I'm assuming they have some sort of a similar setup. Whatever sort of cool vehicle that you have for delivering the mail, we salute you. Yeah, he's a mailman. That's that's pretty awesome, isn't it? And he listens to the podcast while delivering mail. So anyway, let's do our picks of the week. Um, yours, I've I've heard about. I think you may be, you may have even mentioned it to me, but I've up until you know about an hour ago, I never even like brought it up in a web browser. So mm. tell me about your pick of the week. So uh, a couple of months ago, I was in the very strange position of looking for a job during the pandemic, um, and I was trying to figure out like what were some things I could do to sort of like punch up my resume, like. You know, I've I've had Aqueous certification before for Drupal, but I was trying to get into a land where I was like, you know, it's not primarily writing code was my job. So I was like, what are things that are like a tangential to what I've been working on? So like, could I get AWS certified? Could I get Scrum certified? And then I saw this thing, you can get Google Analytics certified. And I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And it turns out if you've used Google Analytics, like, you know, a couple of times, you could probably pass this test after taking some like review, you know, uh, materials and doing a practice quiz, you, you could, you could pass the test. Uh, but while I was doing that, I discovered that Google has this sort of like really interesting, robust reporting thing that works entirely online because it's from Google called the data studio. And if you just look at some of the examples that they have up there, they have some really cool things. Like they have one, which is like what countries and what continents did Anthony Bourdain visit in every episode of his show? And it's like done as like this really cool, like bar graph. And I think it's broken up by like Northern hemisphere, Southern hemisphere or something like that. Uh, So that you can take your, you know, it starts out with your Google analytics data or your YouTube data, or your, you know, data that's in a Google Sheet, right? And you can add these different data sources as as the 
the stuff that you're going to operate on, but then you can pull it into these different interfaces. And so they have like pie charts and bar graphs and they can, you can do averages and you can do um, spark lines and, you know, you can compare two different graphs over time and all of these really, really rich tools that there are desktop applications that do this kind of thing that you can pay, I think, hundreds of dollars for uh, doing these like, you know, business intelligence kind of uh, activities. You can split it up over multiple pages. So like I've seen people that are doing these things where like the first page, they actually just type a bunch of text to like tell you what this thing is all about. And the second page, they do some report. And the third page, they do some report. And then you can change the, the time range that you're looking at. So you can be like, I just want to look at the information for the last month. And then it would be like, well, I want to compare, you know, I've selected a, a 30 day window. So what did the previous 30 days look like? It can do all of this crazy stuff for you automatically. Um, it requires you to know how to set it up and, and, you know, know a little bit about how to work with the data, but it turns out as, as Drupal site builders, you learn a lot about data that maybe you didn't know you were learning as, as you figure out how to be a Drupal site builder. So some of the things you would want to do with like the views module, you could do with this tool, but you can use it on like any data, not just stuff that's in your Drupal database. It's really interesting. I'm going to ask you a question here. Actually, I'm not going to ask a question. I'm going to say a, a short phrase. Crystal reports. Crystal reports. Yep. Very comparable. Okay. So this is like the modern day equivalent of crystal reports where the sources are pretty much anything that is publicly accessible online. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, or, or um, you know, privately, you know, by default, all of these things are only viewable by you. But if you end up generating some really cool suite, this really cool dashboard of stuff, and you want to show it to someone else, you can copy and paste just the configuration, but not the data to them. And then they could plug in their own information, but use still. So, so there's these really cool starting points that they have published, you know, on the site already that you can use to, to sort of like kickstart your dashboard. All right, very cool. So Google Data Studio. Yeah. All right, my pick of the week has nothing to do with Drupal. It's just, it's, so I guess technically we can say my Drupal pick of the week was upgrade status. <laughs> but this one popped into my head because it's something that I have been obsessed with for, and I was obsessed with it a while ago, like a few years ago, but I recently rediscovered it and I'm obsessed with it. And I found an iPad app for it. So now I've got my wife and my daughter sucked into it. I, I'm still working on my son. He's a little bit tougher nut to crack. It's GeoGuessr. Have you played GeoGuessr? I don't think I know what you're talking about. Okay. So GeoGuessr, um, it's just GeoGuessr, but it's kind of like your username. Drop the last vowel. Oh. So G-E-O-G-U-E-S-S-R. Dot coms. So no ER, just the R.com. And basically what it does is it drops you somewhere on the world using Google Street View. Hmm. And you have to figure out where you are and then take a guess on the map. And you get points for how close you are to where that street view was. Interesting. It has, it has, you know, you can like do famous places or US or narrow it down, but um, 
they have an iPad app that is you you can like compete against people. Um, it, it's actually. I was gonna say like I think we should do a, a live live stream of this some night. Yeah, I'm I'm up for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really fun, and I'm just I don't know just with everything going on, I I, I can't watch news. I just have to sometimes just escape, and this mm-hmm. has been my escape lately. And if you have, I don't know if, if uh, there's an Android app. I know that there's an iOS app for it. It's beautiful on the iPad. Um, and the web version is kind of like the, the original. And, you know, you can compete and you can challenge people to the same map that you played and stuff like that. So it's just, it's a really fun, dare I say, educational uh, game. And if you're into like cartography or, or anything like that, um, you know, you'll love this. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Very cool. Well, if I get to have a fun pick too, then I'm just going to say um, there's a series of books written by Phil Pullman. It's put in the young adult category, but um, it's really just anybody should read this. Um, if you're even a little bit into like fantasy stories and you like, it's not very steampunk, but it's interestingly steampunk in a, in like a not steampunk way. It is called um, His Dark Materials is the name of the series, but the first book is The Golden Compass. There was a movie starring Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman a while back. The movie wasn't great. There's an HBO series, which is actually pretty darn good. Um, and the things that they changed, I, I think, were changes for the better. Uh, like, you know, a certain character goes on a certain trip with with people and, you know, would, wasn't there in the book and that kind of stuff. But um, the book's... I think stand on their own are some of my favorite books. We had a quote from the books and my wedding. And uh, now that I'm trying to remember, was that the one that you read in our wedding? I don't remember. I don't remember which one I read. <laughs> Mike read it. Mike read something at our wedding. It was very, very nice. I probably have that piece of paper. I just have to go and like dig it out. out of like one of Do my you remember? Was it, was it about like, you know, my atoms will go and find your atoms. Does that sound familiar to you? No, but I think I know. All right. Anyway, think, it's it's yeah. from it's from this series of books, and it's but it is familiar. Really good. I, I don't think that was me. I think it was someone else who read that. I, okay. I, I can picture. If it wasn't you, I know who who it was. <laughs> yeah. So Northern Lights is what it's called. the The book was called that you're referring to. It was it was called the Golden Compass. I'm, I'm on Wikipedia. So Northern oh, the Golden Lights. Compass. It's just called the Golden Compass. The first book it, in North America. Oh, really? It's called something else in other it's countries? It's called Northern Lights. Oh, well, yeah. I did not know that. Um, and also, if you get the audiobooks, which I love audiobooks of all kinds, the author actually reads the books and does a really good job. So, there you go. It'll be in the notes. All right, well, Mr. Price, I hope uh, everything's going well with you and the um, growing family there. Yes, um, our, our boys are doing very well. Everyone's healthy. Um, How's the sleep schedule going? Everybody on a, on a reasonable schedule? It's, it's really, I really can't complain. I mean, I would like to be able to sleep all the way through the night, but it's, it's usually pretty predictable. So, so right now we're doing really good. All right, very good. Uh, we'll, we will catch up with you on a future podcast, I'm sure. All right. All right, thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Whoa, that was a 90-minute podcast. Did not see that one coming, but thank you very much for listening, and we will see you on the next episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast.